Today on Government Matters, the U.S. Army on the leading edge of the coronavirus response. The Army Chief of Staff, General James McConville, tells you what's happening and what's coming. The Army teaming with FEMA to respond to COVID-19 nationwide. The Army commander leading the effort, Lieutenant General Laura Richardson, is only here. And feds helping feds deal with the virus at work and at home. The leader of the Federal Employee Education and Assistance Fund on how you can get help or how you can help. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Army's pausing the assignment of new recruits to basic training because of the coronavirus. It's only one example of how COVID-19's changed the way the Army does business. General James McConville is Chief of Staff of the United States Army. General uh, McConville, thank you very much for joining me today. What is the Army's response to coronavirus overall, both internally and citizen-facing, sir? Well, first of all, thanks, thanks uh, Francis, for, for having us here. And uh, you know, one of uh, our top priorities in the Army is, is really protecting our people uh, during this virus so we can protect uh, the nation. So we've taken measures uh, where there's taken a slight pause in bringing young men and women in, uh, into the Army uh, over a two-week period. Uh, but more intensively is, is um, how we're contributing to the, uh, the, the interagency or whole of government response. Um, we have uh, scientists who are working on vaccinations, who are working on high throughput uh, testing, uh, they're working on drugs that we can use to uh, uh, cure the virus, and that's at our uh, Medical Research and Development uh, Command. Our Corps of Engineers are in every single state, working very closely with state and local officials, and so they can help them develop these alternate healthcare facilities like you're seeing in Javits uh, uh, Center in New York City, you're seeing that in Seattle, and you're really seeing that around the country. Our National Guard, the Army National Guard, is, is, is 20,000 plus strong. They're in every single state. Um, helping uh, the state respond uh, to this invisible enemy. And, and then our reserves um, have been mobilized. Uh, we have a, a lot of capability in our reserves as far as field hospitals and active. And we are employing 19 field hospitals throughout the country right now. What can the Army learn and what can other health care providers learn from those hospital deployments, sir? Well, first of all, speed matters. Um, and we, we were given an order uh, for the hospital uh, in New York City, uh, and in, in, in five days uh, after orders, uh, they were in New York City. They were setting up that hospital. Uh, the interagency coordination is actually, actually important. And also looking for alternate means to set up the hospitals quickly. If we had to build them from scratch, it would have taken maybe months or, or even years. But the fact that our engineers were able to work with uh, state and local officials and go into um, existing facilities that were quickly able to adapt them into the hospitals we're seeing today. As far as staffing those facilities, you've asked retired soldiers to come back to service at least temporarily. What skills do you need to fill those billets, sir? Yeah, what we're looking for is really medical professionals. We've had a very positive response to uh, former soldiers who want to come back and, and serve their countries. But, but really, at the, at the end of the day, when we talk to the states, uh, they need medical professionals. And we've been very careful uh, when we mobilized our reserves and National Guard um, almost to the to the person because we don't want to pull someone out 
of a community hospital and put them in, and deploy them from their hometowns if they're actively involved in fighting the virus. Anytime that you or any of your colleagues and I have talked about the Army and its mission, I always hear the phrase, we have to be ready to fight tonight. That doesn't change as a result of coronavirus. How has this impacted the way that you're preparing your soldiers to be able to fight tonight, sir? No, we, we have to, and that's a great point. You know, we have uh, about 190,000 soldiers uh, deployed in 140 countries uh, throughout the world, and, and they're actively engaged in, in combat operations in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. So uh, the Army must be ready. Um, and, and we are, and as Chief Staff of the Army, I, I can tell those who wish us harm or those who uh, threaten the security of the United States is uh, we are ready to defend the nation, and we will. How has this rearranged or reprioritized or stretched out or any, affected in any other way the big six modernization priorities that you've been working on pretty much since you became vice chief and now chief? Well, we're, we're still aggressively going at that, but just like we want to protect the force, we also want to protect, protect our industry partners. Uh, some um, high-profile testing we continued. We just had a very successful launch or uh, hypersonic missile capability and very, very proud of, of the work they're doing. So what we're doing is we're, we're, we're taking a look at where um, kind of the hot zones are, and we're working very closely with our industry partners to protect them so we can continue to develop the modernization priorities, but at the same time, we want to protect the people that are working on them. You're obviously not going out and seeing the men and women in uniform that you command uh, during this time, but you're communicating with them, I'm sure, through the ways, uh, for example, the way we're communicating today. What's the message that you're sending to them as you're communicating with them now, General McConville? Well, I, I still think we are going out. Um, I was in New York City. I've been to Javis Center to visit the troops there. I've been out to uh, Washington State to visit the troops there. I think as leaders, uh, we have responsibility uh, to go uh, to places where our troops are going or I wouldn't send them. Uh, we are certainly putting the measures in place when we go to visit, all the proper measures as far as six, six feet separation and making sure that we uh, protect them and, and protect ourselves. But the message I would tell um, the, the, the Army or the troops and really the American people, we, I'm just really proud of them all. Uh, every single person has a share of, 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 a, of the task in defeating this virus. It could be from washing your hands. It could be from uh, proper social distancing, which I believe strongly in. You know, if you're not mission essential, stay home and shelter in place so you're not being, you're minimizing exposure. But really for all the professionals that, that we have, I, I think the real heroes of this fight, they're gonna be the doctors, the nurses, the scientists, and the medical professionals that are on the front line um, to defeat this virus, and, and they will. General McConville, thank you very much for your time, sir. I appreciate it. And thanks for having us. Up next, the Army and FEMA working together on the coronavirus response. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the partnership works and what they're achieving in the field. You're watching ABC7. U.S. Army North Joint Force Land Component Command is teaming with the Federal Emergency Management Agency on the coronavirus response. 5,700 soldiers are supporting FEMA across the country. Lieutenant General Laura Richardson's commander of the United States Army North 5th Army. General, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate it. How is Land Force, uh, how is Joint Force Land Component Command working with FEMA to help respond to coronavirus, ma'am? 
So absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on today, Francis. Uh, I really appreciate it. And as a joint force, I actually have uh, not just uh, soldiers, but I have soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marine underneath the joint force that we have uh, underneath NORTHCOM. And so we work right alongside with FEMA. Uh, they are our counterparts. Uh, what a great group of professionals that have been doing this for years, very experienced uh, in what they do and what they provide to the nation. And so we work very closely with them uh, and they work uh, alongside, we work alongside with them, but also with the state and local officials to make sure that the need is identified for what is, uh, what is required to help out that particular state. Your troops are working on these uh, exercises on an ongoing basis, so is FEMA. Are you working together for the first time in this response or is, is, an inter, is the partnership between the two organizations part of the ongoing preparation for a response like this, ma'am? Absolutely, we are always working and training with FEMA. Uh, we all actually have, uh, just with the, the uh, earthquakes in Puerto Rico in January, with uh, Hurricane Dorian in September, uh, we work with all of our counterparts all of the time. Uh, certainly, this response is very unprecedented because we haven't worked with all of uh, all of the all of FEMA and the FEMA regions all at the same time. So, uh, what an honor to be able to do that. What kind of jobs are you working with, working on with FEMA? What specific kinds of responses are your troops providing, ma'am? Well, I appreciate that question because uh, predominantly it's uh, our medical capability that's what's needed. And so uh, we have three uh, hospitals that are uh, actually with their equipment that are uh, two into the Javits Center in New York City, uh, one in Washington State and Seattle. We're actually uh, getting ready to pack that up and move it because of the, um, the great job that the state of Washington did and uh, flattening that curve for COVID, but predominantly the medical skills. We also have a lot of logistics because in order to support our medical uh, capability that's out uh, uh, around the country supporting all these different states, uh, we need a, a good supply chain to be able to make sure that they have everything that they need. And speaking of everything that you need, ma'am, what do you need to be able to scale to the degree that you expect to have to scale to in the coming weeks and months? Well, I think exactly what we're providing, uh, the, the hospital capability and the medical professionals that come within those. So if the, if the equipment isn't required, um, then quite honestly, the people are, and those are the doctors, the nurses, the emergency care, the anesthesiologists, the critical care docs, nurses, respiratory therapists, um, all of those support personnel that go along with running a hospital. And so that's really at the lead effort uh, of what we are seeing that the need is. The people pipeline is always as important as the supply pipeline. Early in the program, General McConville told me about his request to retired soldiers to come back into service, at least temporarily for this. Are you starting to see efforts like that show in uh, at the tip of the spear in this response, ma'am? Oh, absolutely, because a lot of our, you know, some of our capability, I don't wanna say a lot of the capability, but some of our absolute capability for logistics and medical uh, is also in our reserve component. And then, uh, with the, uh, uh, with the declaration of uh, mobilizing the ready reserve as well as individual ready reserve, um, we are seeing that. And we have probably about a third of our force is from the reserve component that is helping out with this. How are you aligning your support to requests that you get that you know are valid and that you know need the support that you have to offer? 
Well, that that uh, goes with the coordination that we did with the state and local officials and FEMA. And as a group, it also involves HHS and and uh, these folks get together and we all get together and participate in terms of what is what is the need that's required. I have defense coordinating officers that are uh, embedded with FEMA in all of the FEMA regions, and so they're part of that team that is always uh, working to uh, on emergent requirements and identifying the need and then putting the capability uh, to help with that need in the state. So it's FEMA's responsibility to take these requests, vet them, and then to come to your, your people and say, we need you to respond here, we need you to respond here in this way or that way. Am I reading that right, ma'am? Absolutely, but we also help them with our planners uh, as we're working through um, what exactly might be required and, and identifying the needs. So we work as a unity of effort uh, team uh, to come up with that. You mentioned the, the response to the earthquakes in Puerto Rico in January, and I wonder if you had items that you took away in your after action report from that that are helping you here and what you're seeing so far in this response that might be in an after action report for this that you can apply to the next disaster that you respond to. Absolutely, we are learning so much in this response because um, as I said before, we, we normally, for example, during Hurricane Dorian in September, uh, we were working with uh, uh, one FEMA region and about six different states, and actually two FEMA regions, and, and now we're working with all 10 of the FEMA regions. And so just how uh, the command and control apparatus that you have to put in place in order to make sure that you get the right capability to the right place and you're not late to need. General, we have about 30 seconds left. What are you doing to keep your people safe? Obviously, with the people pipeline being important, imagine that's one of your top priorities, if not the top. Absolutely. Safety is our number one priority because we want to be able to employ our, our people and be able to help the nation exactly what they're needed and not become victims ourselves. And so uh, all of those CDC guidelines, uh, we see that that works. And so that's very imperative. In some cases where they can't uh, have the six feet of social distancing, um, they're always wearing masks inside of any of these facilities. And, uh, and they're taking extra special care that, again, they don't become a victim themselves, that they're able to uh, help in the capability that we're providing and that we uh, help uh, the nation get through this in a positive way. General Richardson, thanks very much for joining me this morning and letting us know what's going on at the tip of the spear. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Francis. Really appreciate it. Up next, your fellow federal employees need your help to get through the pandemic. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how you can help them or maybe get help yourself. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency lists 16 types of essential critical infrastructure workers, and federal employees fall into a lot of those categories. The Federal Employee Education and Assistance Fund has tools and resources available to help federal employees through the virus, whether they're staying at home or reporting to the office. Joyce Warner is executive director of FIA. Joyce, welcome. Thanks for coming on. What are you hearing from people that they need the most help with during this time? Yeah, thank you, Francis. So, you know, we're hearing a couple of things. Of course, uh, now that the Families First Act is in place and there are provisions for some additional leave, um, which we're very thankful for, um, we're expecting that folks may run out of that leave. So we're encouraging folks to use all that first before they come for help. The other area where I think um, 
folks are needing some help is just with good information. There is a lot out there. It's a lot to take in. So that's another area we're trying to provide some help with. How is this different and how is it similar to the kinds of response that you had to things like government shutdown or mm -hmm. disasters that were limited geographically, those kinds of things? Yeah. Well, of course, the spread here is, is very high, right? I mean, we, we are anticipating um, as we get later into the month and into early of May that we're going to see requests for a lot of help. So there's a couple of things that, that we're doing on the assistance front. Um, one is for, for federal employees who have exhausted all of their leave, um, meaning they have, they're basically now on leave without pay uh, due to the virus, we're going to be providing some no fee, no interest loans to them and they have a year to pay those back to us once they're back to work. Um, we're providing some aid to some of, we've already seen some deceased federal employees, unfortunately, um, and we're providing some small financial aid to those families. Um, we have one who's single mother, you know, that's only child, lost his mother to the virus, and so we're trying to provide some aid there. Um, but, and there's also been a few people, I mentioned the Families First Act, there are some people who were caught early without leave. So there might be somebody who had a chronic illness, got the coronavirus, their agency didn't advance them leave, and they already had leave without pay. So we've had to respond to a few feds already in that category. I think it's, there's a misconception, uh, not just among federal employees, to be fair, among employees in the commercial world too, but I think there's a misconception that, well, if somebody's still working, the paycheck's still coming in, so they're going to be fine. And, and the stories that you're telling me indicate that's not the case at all necessarily. No, I mean, someone may may not, they may have got, just gone on a vacation at the end of the year. They may not, they may not have sick leave. They may be a newer Fed that hasn't accrued a lot of leave. And if you're low income and you're faced with leave without pay, and I think a lot of Feds, there are a large number of federal employees that make under $50,000. Um, it's very hard to make ends meet if all of a sudden your paycheck stops, just like during the shutdown. What, all of what you're doing requires somebody to help. You don't get tax money. You're doing this on the goodness of other people. What kind exactly. of resources, what kind of help do you need now? Just financial or are there other resources you'd like to bring in as well? Yeah, so right now, obviously financial resources are what we need the most of. We had to cancel our big annual fundraiser that we host in honor of Public Service Recognition Week this year um, due to the virus. It was to be in May. So that's that's a hit for us as we're trying to respond more. Um, so individuals can go to fia.org forward slash give and donate online to FIA. Um, we've also had some wonderful supporters come forward, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield, and WEPA. Uh, immediately came forward to us and said, we know you guys need some help. How can we help you? And that really makes a big difference. But we, we, we do anticipate needing more help. FIA.org slash give is the website that you cited. I, did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Um, what, what are you telling people who are coming to you and saying, I'm just having a struggle just dealing with all of this, the anxiety, the pressure, yeah. all of that. You have resources to help them understand where to go and, and what help to seek, right? We do. So we have, if you go right to the FIA homepage, the, the first thing you'll see is a link to a resource page on the virus. And that has everything from um, the Federal Department of Labor poster that's been updated about the Families First Act. It has links to all of your FEHB, Federal Employee Health Benefit Plans, but it also has a whole bunch of resources that we have curated 
for dealing with isolation and anxiety, for um, how to navigate your kids out of school, learning resources that are free that you can access, um, how to have some fun during this time. You're, you're maybe trapped at home, maybe you have a family at home, how to manage that. And so, you know, when it comes to navigating um, the emotional side of this, I think we also have some general advice to people. And I give the same advice to my staff. FIA, thankfully, is fully telework operationals, and our staff are all working at home, is that you have to have some structure and routine because the days can kind of blend together, right? And I think that's not good emotionally. Um, you have to try to get some fresh air. You have to stay connected with people, personally and professionally. I, I would tell all the managers in the federal government, you know, this is a good time as you're connecting with people by phone or video who work for you in this telecommuting environment. Take Take those extra few minutes, engage with your staff on a personal level, ask them how they're doing. Joyce Warner of FIA, you do great work. Thanks very much for coming on and talking about it. Thank you, Francis. Stay well. Thank you, you too. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. You get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. The Navy League and Government Matters are partnering on a virtual edition of the largest maritime expo in the United States. The Navy League canceled Sea Airspace 2020 last month after Maryland prohibited gatherings of more than 250 people in response to COVID-19. Every day next week, you'll get a one-hour special Sea Airspace 2020 virtual edition from 1 to 2 p.m. right here on WJLA 24-7 News. If you're watching on the American Forces Network or on the web outside of Metro DC, you can register for the free webinar version of each program on FedInsider.com. You'll hear from Assistant Secretary of the Navy for RDNA, Hondo Gertz, the Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Carl Schultz, the Head of the Maritime Administration, Admiral Mark Busby, and much more. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.